0: Well, last week, we spent our time together really giving a good introduction to the book of Ephesians, and then we also studied through the first chapter of Ephesians, and chapter one really gave us a great reminder of who we are in Christ, didn't it? And if you haven't already done this, I encourage you just to keep reading through the book of Ephesians as we go. But if you haven't already done this, go back to chapter one, underline all of those things that it says that we are, who we are in Christ. Remind yourself of those things every day. It's so powerful. It says that we are chosen, we are planned, we are purposed, we are holy, we are adopted as a child of God, we are accepted. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are a recipient of divine wisdom and understanding. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are preserved by the Holy Spirit. We are a carrier of the fullness of God. That's pretty awesome, don't you think? If you ever have a day that you're just kind of wondering, oh, I don't know who I am, and I don't really know what, what this is all about, and who I really am, and, and my identity. Ephesians chapter 1 tells each of us our identity in Christ. We don't have to strive to be accepted by any other human being because we are accepted by the living God. Amen? And then Paul, the author of Ephesians, he, he reminds the people in Ephesus of their starting point. As he went through that first part of this letter in chapter one. He reminds them of their starting point and their relationship with God through Jesus. And then he prayed for them, right? That they would grow in their understanding and and revelation of God. And so we prayed that prayer over ourselves last week. And I encouraged you to continue praying that prayer from Ephesians one over your lives personally every day. I hope that you have been doing that. If you weren't here last week, it's okay, you can start doing that today. Paul prays an awesome prayer for the people in Ephesus in the second half of chapter one. And we should be praying that over our lives that we would grow in our revelation of God. We should continually be growing in our revelation of God. And remember, we also said that Paul had been in Ephesus. He had spent two to three years there. And then It had been five years since he was there now when he writes this letter to them. So five years had passed since his time there. And during the five years, he really has a personal increased revelation of the church. And, and what God has for all of us collectively, not just individually. And so in chapter 2, he really starts to get into some of those things. But the first half of chapter 2, he talks more to us individually. And then the second half, he talks to us collectively. So we're really going to split this chapter into two parts today, okay? So let's take a look at part 1, starting in... Uh, verse one of Ephesians chapter two. And we're gonna see here in this first half of chapter two that Paul is talking to us and reminding us of where we were individually before God. And then where we are because of what God has done for us through Jesus and then why. He has done that, okay? So let's look in verse 1. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in some in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In these first three verses, he's reminding us of where we were personally before God. We were spiritually dead. You know, we are three-part beings, right? Body, soul, and spirit. But without God, we're only walking in two of those parts. We're living in two dimensions rather than three, the way we were created to live. And he's reminding them, hey, before God, this is where you were. Remember, you were spiritually dead. In essence, he's saying you were walking corpses. You were enslaved to the world. You were enslaved by the devil, disobedient to God. You were enslaved to your flesh, only out for yourself, for self-gratification. And you were children of wrath facing inevitable consequences of our sin. So he says, okay, remember this. This is where you were. And then he goes on in verses 4 through 7 to tell us about God's radical rescue plan for us. Okay? And starting in verse 4, it says, but God i love the way verse four starts out because prior to that he says this is where you were but verse four starts out but god but god god had a radical rescue plan for us the one true holy living god king of kings he loves us so much ladies we've been singing about the love of god today when We prayed after our time of worship. We just acknowledged the love of God. He loves you so very much. He loves each and every one of us. And he extended mercy to us. And he continually extends mercy to us. You see, he could not stand to be separated from us. Sin separated us from God right? That's where we were, dead in sin. And that sin separated us from God. He could not stand to be separated from us. So he rescued us from our sin. What do we do when we're, when we're in sin? When we're living in sin, what do we do? We run from God, don't we? But in our sin, God ran to us. I think that's pretty amazing. Our sin didn't scare him. Our sin separated us from him, and it broke his heart. And so he ran to us with a plan to rescue us. He refused to leave us in that spiritually dead place. He sent his son to die on that cross of Calvary to shed his blood for us so that we could come and have relationship with him. Look at some of the language it uses in those verses. In verse 5, it said we were dead and then we were made alive with Christ. In verse 6, it says that we were raised up with Christ and seated with him in heavenly realms in Christ. Listen to the progression that we just saw there. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? We are identifying with Christ who died. Who was made alive, who was resurrected, and then who ascended to heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's what he's telling us. We were dead, but we've been resurrected. He has brought us to new life, to where we can now sit in heavenly places with Christ we talked about it last week God wants us to know that we have been adopted by him we are joint heirs with Jesus and everything that Jesus himself accesses in God the Father we can now access as well that's pretty good news I think I don't know about you And you know, in the first couple verses we read in this chapter, it said that we were deserving of wrath, children of wrath. But now, in verse 7, it says that we are recipients of the exceeding riches of God's grace, expressed in kindness towards us. Wow. Once, we were dead in sin, and children of wrath, knowing that there was the consequence of sin that would come our way, but now, because of Jesus' incredible grace, incredible kindness has been extended to us to where now Jesus has taken the punishment for our sins for us. Isn't that good news? God had an amazing rescue plan for us. He wants to live in relationship with us. He wants to bring freedom into our lives, freedom from sin, freedom from the punishment of sin. So if God went to such great lengths and paid the highest price to set us free from sin, why is it that we still sin? Probably none of you do, right? Actually, I've got news for you. As long as we're in these fleshly bodies living on this earth, none of us are perfect, and we all are in these sinful uh, human natures. We have the sinful human nature, so we do. We sin. But he paid the highest price so that we wouldn't have to, so that we wouldn't have the punishment. So why do we sin? Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man but god is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it okay now think about this sin always starts with temptation we're tempted to sin we don't have to sin we're not forced to sin Sin starts with that temptation. God loves us enough to give us a will that we can choose. And so we can choose to sin or we can choose not to sin. The choice is ours. God always provides a way of escape. But you know what? We don't always want the way of escape, do we? if we're honest about it, because sometimes we would rather lash out at that one that we're upset with than biting our tongue, right? Sorry if I'm stepping on any toes this morning. But sometimes we would rather retaliate at the person who hurt us than forgive. Sometimes we would rather pick up that offense and hold on to unforgiveness towards the one who wronged us because they were wrong. We feel justified, right? Um, Not very many people want to answer on that one. (laughs) Sometimes we just rather do what our flesh feels like doing in any given moment rather than walking according to God's nature. So we've got to stop and realize, wait a minute. How often am I walking according to my old nature? The highest price was paid so that I would become a new creation, a new person walking in a new way in Christ. Jesus gave his life, but yet sometimes... I still choose to live the old life, to live according to the old man, letting the old man dictate my life. I know you don't, but sometimes I do. (laughs) And we need to stop and ask ourselves, wow, why am I living according to my old nature when I have been given a new nature in Christ? And now Paul continues on and he tells us Why we've been given this new nature? Why Jesus gave his very life for us? Why the highest price has been paid for us? Look at verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, we are saved by grace alone. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. And we receive that grace, how? By faith, right? We don't receive it by works. Because if we did, then we'd walk around saying, oh, look at me, look how great I am, look what I did. God loves me more, We'd boast, we'd be arrogant about it. And he says, no, 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 no. We're not going to have any of that. No, this is a free gift of grace that is only received by faith, that everyone can receive this gift so that his grace and his greatness would be seen in and through our lives. Because if we just walk around on this earth saying, oh yeah, I believe, I, I, I believe, I believe in God, I believe that he sent Jesus, yeah, that's great, but we keep living according to the old nature, how does that really show off God's greatness on the earth today? Well, food for thought. <laughs> in verse 10, it says, we are his workmanship created for good works. You know, in James 2, it says, Show me your works and I'll see your faith. That's the essence of what it tells us. You see, our lifestyle, our actions, the way we go about our daily lives should reveal God's grace and our faith, right? It says we are his workmanship. That means we're God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Okay, look at somebody and tell her, you are God's masterpiece. You are. He made you in his image, in his likeness. For good works. And that word works, it's talking about our actions, the things we do from the littlest things in our lifestyle to our occupation, all of the things that we do And it says good works, which literally means pleasant, joyful, happy, excellent, upright. We are to let our daily workings, our daily actions, all that we do throughout the course of our day, reflect God and reflect his nature. Does that mean that we are going to be perfect? No, because we still live in these human fleshly bodies. However... We don't sit back and use that as an excuse. We should be a work in progress. That masterpiece in progress, always progressing. Think about your life. Look back over the last year of your life. Can you say you've been progressing in your walk with God? You've been growing, you've been letting him be seen more and more in and through your life to others around you? We should be able to always look back and say that we are progressing in God, growing in Him. All right? So this first part of chapter 2, Paul's talking about our relationship with God from our perspective. Chapter 1 talked about our relationship with God from God's perspective, what He's done for us. He chose us. He adopted us. But this is talking about from our perspective, where we were, dead in sin, where we are now because of what Jesus has done for us and why because he wants us to reveal him to be that masterpiece with good works reflecting him every day of our lives he paid the highest price for us so that he would be seen in and through us individually right okay now Paul switches gears and he says okay this is this is what God's wanting to do in and through you individually personally but now I want to talk about what God wants to do in and through you collectively okay so he starts out the second half of this chapter starting in verse 11 telling us where we were collectively First part of the chapter, he started out telling us where we were before God individually, right? But now, he's telling us where we were before God collectively. So let's see what this says in verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, Paul's called, we said last week, to preach to the Gentiles. And so he's pointing out here this huge gap this huge separation and division between the jews and the gentiles those who are circumcised and those who are uncircumcised okay and so he's really pointing out some of the disadvantages of the gentiles he says you were without christ your religions were purely pagan you did not even have a chance to know christ as the jews did You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel because salvation was just for the Jews at that point. You were alienated from the Jews. You were without hope. You were apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. He is our hope, right? You were without God in the world. You know, in James 1.7, it says that God is the source of every good thing. Without God? We don't have access to all of the good things that he wants to bring into our lives. He says you were without Christ. You see, the Jews thought that the law would get them to God. The Gentiles weren't even able to try to get to God. There was so much hatred and hostility between them, so much division and separation between them. They were a mess. The the hostility was great. They were an absolute mess. And so Paul's saying, okay, now collectively, this is where you were. You were divided. You were hateful. There was so much hostility. You were an absolute mess. But God had a radical rescue plan for you collectively. So let's look and see what he says in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. that word enmity? It's hatred, hostility, and the reason for opposition that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. This is God's radical rescue plan for the division among us, for the separation. Because of the blood of Jesus, everyone, everyone can come and be brought near, be brought close, be brought into relationship with God. First, he told us we can individually have peace with God, but now he's telling us that we can have peace with each other because no matter what our background was, no matter where we came from, no matter what we were told in the past, we leave the past behind when we come to God and we take on a new nature, a new identity. We are new creatures, new creations in Christ, one body in him united. There doesn't need to be any separation or division among us. And Paul talks about that wall of separation and it's really significant that wall of separation because it was a physical wall that symbolized an emotional wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so I want you to get this picture because the Jewish temple in Jerusalem had a dividing wall of separation separating the inner courtyards from the outer courtyards that were called the courts of the gentiles so picture this the temple it's in the middle and then there's all these courts extending out beyond the temple okay and the first one closest to the temple is the court of priests where only those members of the tribe of Levi were able to come into that court of priests, okay? And then the next court, just beyond that, was the court of Israel, where only Jewish men, male Jews, were allowed to come into that court. And then the next court beyond that was the court of women, where all Jews were able to come into that court But women were not allowed to go any further. They had to stay right there. And then, after that court of women, then you would go down five steps to a level area, and then there was a five-foot stone barricade around the temple, a wall. And then, after that five-foot wall, you would go down another 14 more steps, and below that was the court of the Gentiles. Now, a five-foot wall is about my height without my heels on. So, you know, like here. But it's not just a five-foot wall because then you go down 14 steps. So they're going to be down here with a five-foot wall. So a huge divider that you can't even see over. No Gentile was allowed beyond that point by penalty of death. It was a very real, very significant thing between the Jews and the Gentiles. But Christ's death took the wall, the wall of hostility, the wall of separation, the wall of hatred, to make us all one, to bring us all together in peace. And so he's communicating this to the Gentiles. I mean, this was huge for them that now they don't have to stand behind that wall. They can come, too. That was huge for them. But for us today, I mean, everything in the book of Ephesians applies very well to us today. What are our walls? It may not be the same walls that the Gentiles dealt with in that day. But we still have walls to deal with. We still put up walls. Sometimes we put up walls between ourselves and unbelievers. As believers, as Christians, very often we put up walls towards unbelievers. Sometimes it's out of fear. Well, I don't want to get too close. I don't want to associate. I don't want to get led down a wrong path. And we put up walls of fear. Other times, Christians are great with unbelievers who they don't know, who are strangers, who they say, oh, yes, I want to reach them. I want to share the love of God with them. They are my mission field. But then when it comes to the unbelievers closer to home, sometimes the unbelievers living in the same house, there's a lot of frustration sometimes. Sometimes we can put up walls. Did you know that in 1 Peter 3 it says that an unsaved husband can be won over purely by the godly conduct of a wife. Wow. We've got to be careful not to put up walls. The way we live can lead others to Jesus. We've got to be so careful about putting up walls. Sometimes we put up walls between ourselves and other believers because sometimes even Christians have disputes. Have you ever noticed that? I know you haven't. You're perfect. (laughs) But even believers sometimes have disputes, have disagreements. But, you know, there can't be hostility between anyone who is really living in Christ. We're all one now in him. That's what he tells us. We're one We're new creatures, new creations in Christ. So if we're having divisions in the body, then, and we're one in him, then that means that either Christ is divided, which I don't think is the case, or then it means that we are not really living in Christ. Sometimes, when we choose to live according to that old nature, pick up things from the old nature, that's when we get into disputes, to arguments, division, pick up offenses. But when we're really living in Christ, that means that we're living in His nature, His character. That means we're forgiving. That means we're refusing to pick up offenses. That means we're letting things slide off. That means we're choosing not to retaliate, right? But we're a work in progress, right? (laughs) Sometimes we can put up walls of isolation. And people put up walls of isolation for a whole variety of reasons. But sometimes those walls of isolation come after having picked up an offense or after a dispute. We withdraw, we isolate, and we put up even higher, bigger walls, which we think are. For our protection, we tell ourselves that, which is so not true. They are nothing more than a trap of the enemy. You know that? Isolation is a plan of the enemy. In Proverbs 18:1, it says, He who isolates himself seeks his own desire. That's not God's desire for us. That's our own fleshly desire to pull back and to isolate. And then it continues on and says that the person who does that rages against all sound wisdom. Wow. We've gotta recognize the walls that we put up. Sometimes we even put up walls between ourselves and God, even as believers, because we know God loves us, we know Jesus died for us, but living in him, coming into his presence, spending time with him, sometimes we feel unworthy. Doing that we feel like oh God doesn't want me to come. Uh, God I know you saved me and I'm just so thankful I'm gonna spend eternity in heaven but right now I'm just gonna stay to myself because I'm not really worthy to come to you. That's not why God saved us. That's not why Jesus shed his blood for us. He longs to live daily in relationship with us, we've gotta tear down the walls that we put up, whether they're walls that we put up between us and God, walls that we put up between us and other people. We've got to recognize that that is so contrary to God's plan that he said, wait a minute, I've got a radical rescue plan for you, for all this division happening among you. I'm sending my son Jesus to tear down all the division. So we've got to recognize that and choose to walk in unity. Amen? Paul continues in verse 19, and he says, Now, therefore, You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. He says, okay, this is where you were collectively. You were a mess. You were at each other all the time. You were a mess. But this is what I've done through Jesus coming to give his life for you. It wasn't just for you individually, but it was te- to tear down the separation between you. And now he tells us why. Why? Why? So that you can be united. So that you can fulfill my purposes on the earth. So that we can be the church. See, Paul illustrates the church in three ways. He refers to us, the church, as a nation. Because he says we're all fellow citizens. Then he refers to us as a family. We're all adopted into his family no matter what our background. And that When it talks about being a family, it says that we're members of God's house, God's household. It's literally saying that we are blood relatives. We're not just acquaintances. We're not just people who go to church together. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are blood relatives. We are part of God's household, his family. We need to start viewing ourselves that way. And then he compares us, not only to a nation and a family, but to a building, a holy temple where God dwells. And he tells us that the foundation has been laid with the apostles and the prophets, those who have gone before us, and that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the standard by which all the other stones, that's us, are set. In 1 Peter 2, it says that we are living stones, being built together. This is God's purpose for us, that our lives would connect. When you build a building and you put the bricks together, are there big gaps between the bricks? Let's not, it's not a trick question. (laughs) Do you leave big old gaps between the bricks? No, you're so brilliant. So, <laughs> no, that would not be a very stable house. That would not be a very warm house, <laughs> right? No, they the touch, they're connected to each other. And you see, this is God's purpose for us collectively as his body, that we would be connected, that we would be united, that we would take our place in his building, in his holy temple. And it doesn't happen when we just sit on the sidelines. It doesn't happen when we sit out on the front curb looking at the temple. No, it happens when we are willing to take our place. When we bring our individual gifts, our individual talents and callings and join together with others in the body, so that God's fullness can be seen on the earth today. That's why. That's why he tore down the walls of separation. That's why he paid the highest price that the division would be gone, so that we would be united so that others would see him on the earth through all of us. When we have division, when we have strife and hatred and discord between us, The world does not see a very accurate view of our Savior, do they? We've got to recognize the price that was paid for our unity and be willing to walk in that unity. You see, God's purpose for us is so much bigger than just any one of us individually. God's purpose for us is to be a united body together reflecting Him on the earth. Not one of us being out for our own fame or our own attention, but all of us uniting for His glory, that He would be seen, that He would be known, that others would be drawn to Him. Sometimes in our society that is so out for self, we, even in the church world, we can follow suit with that and think, oh, God's got this stirring in my heart. I'm gonna run out and I'm gonna start my own ministry for this, for this, for this, whatever it might be. But I think most often God's saying, don't run that direction. Run in, run into my household, run into my family, unite. Bring your gifts, bring your talents because together we can accomplish so much more than any one of us ever could accomplish on our own. It's for His glory, not for any of our glory, not for my glory. The Bridge Church is not the ministry of Gary and Ann Martin. The Bridge Church is the church of Jesus Christ to be a reflection of Him on this earth. He wants to work through all of us, all of us uniting together. The walls of man have got to be broken down in order to build the temple of God, the dwelling place where he is seen magnificently. We exist for that purpose, his purposes. And I want to ask you this morning just to stop and think in your own life and let the Holy Spirit just speak to you personally. If there's areas maybe where you've allowed walls to rise up between you and anybody, no matter who it is, if you've isolated, if you've put walls between you and God for any reason, whatever it might be, let the Holy Spirit show you and Let's recognize The highest price was paid To dissolve those walls to bring unity We don't need any longer to live according to our old nature Let's be women who live in Christ pursuing peace pursuing unity amen I want to pray for you this morning Would you just close your eyes and just bow your heads right where you're at. And First of all, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you came with a friend. Maybe it's your first time here and maybe you never even knew that the God of this universe, the one who created you, wants to have a real living, breathing relationship with you. What I tell you today, oh, does he ever? Does he ever? He created you to live in relationship with him. And his word tells us that if we simply believe in our heart that Jesus is the son of God and confess him as a Lord of our lives, that we will be saved. And that word saved, you know what it's talking about? It's talking about... Being saved from trying to live life all on our own, from our independent living. Coming into relationship with him on this earth and spending eternity with him in heaven. And if you are here today and you want to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, his arms are wide open to you. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And I just want to ask everyone to pray this. And if you have never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life before, as we pray, I want to ask you just wrap your heart around this prayer and pray this from your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. And right now, I surrender my life to you. I choose to stop living all on my own. I choose to start a relationship with you. I ask you to be Lord of my life. Help me to grow in you. I choose from this day forward to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you made that decision today and you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you just prayed that to recommit your life and get back on track with God, I just want to tell you what an awesome decision that is. He, we are created to live in Him as new creatures. and. It, If you wanna start a new relationship with God and pray that today, we have a little tool that we wanna give you. It's just a little book called The Next Seven Days. And so before you leave today, I just encourage you to let the table connector at your table know that you would like to receive that book. You wanna start a relationship with God. You'll know her because she has a badge on that says table connector. So just let her know that and she would love to give that book to you. But before we switch gears, I just wanna pray one other prayer. Pray for all of you ladies today. Father, God, I just pray right now that you would help us to live with such a daily awareness of all that was accomplished for us on Calvary by Jesus. Help us to live with a daily awareness that we are in Christ and all that is available to us, all that we can access in Christ, your fullness. God, help us to walk in your fullness to a fuller degree than we ever have before. God, help us in our growth, in our progress in you to continually be progressing, letting go of things that we don't need to hold on to letting down walls that we've built up along the way. Father, show us where there are things that have gotten in the way between us and other people, even between us and you, God, show us. God, I pray today that all across this room that women would make that determination in their hearts to let go, once and for all, to let go of those things and to pursue peace, and to pursue unity in you, God. Help us every day to live in you, in your fullness, God. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, ladies, I love you. I am so thankful that we have the honor and the privilege of living in Christ. Aren't you? Amen. All right.